good to be here this morning. Glad that you're here on this first day of the week. We can come together and worship from God's holy word and learn more of His plan for us. And to gather around this table to remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the communion. It's been a great week and comes rapidly to a close. We've had a lot of opportunity to visit and study together and I've had opportunity to meet people that I hadn't met before and spend some time with you and I've enjoyed that very much. Uh, my wife enjoyed being here last weekend. She had to get back home and we've got things that go on at home too. And I'm glad you're here and if you, this is your first uh, time to make this meeting, then great, glad you're here. We're going to talk about a situation from the Old Testament this morning. And it asks a question, can God furnish a table? And this comes from Psalms 78, 9 through, excuse me, Psalms 78, 9 through 20. And the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back to the day of the battle. They kept not, this is from Joshua. Well, I tell you, I've had a hard time with my, with my, with my uh, PowerPoints this, this week. I apologize for that, but um, we are going to, let's read this. I've got it marked wrong. But the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back to the day of the battle. And they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law and forgot His works and His wonders that He had showed them. Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers. In the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them in a, with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. So it talks about these children being led, the children of Israel being led, the children of Ephraim, and we're going to talk about Ephraim here in just a minute. It goes on to say that he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them to drink out of the great depths. He brought the streams out, he brought the streams also out of the rock, and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God, and their heart was asking for meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? So God had provided all of these things for them, for the children of Ephraim. And they were a mighty tribe. All of the things that they gave him, gave them, they still said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? All of those things that they had been given. Verse 20, Behold, he smote a rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed, that he can give bread also. Can he provide flesh for his people? So there they were. The children of Ephraim. Now we see that they had had their reliance on God, yet they, they questioned His commitment to them after all of those things. Now the children of Ephraim were a tribe of Ephraim, the son of Joseph, and said to be one of the most powerful tribes there. Now, Joshua, 17 through 18. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph. And we're going to learn here about how, how that they were powerful. Even to Ephraim and to Manish, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power, Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, 
and thou shalt be cut, down, cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. So they were a mighty people. They had been given much strength. And throughout the Bible, we see God's people who have been provided for many, many times, over and over again, but they slip away and they slip into this idea that they're not being provided for. We see it over and over again through the Scriptures. Often a mistrust of what God has promised us. Now, you know, we know that, that the children of Israel were, they were released from bondage. Pharaoh's bondage. And they flee and they go towards the, the land that was promised to them. And before they did that, they wanted to go send somebody, some people in there to look at. Look, you know, let's go check it out. We want some spies. The Bible calls them spies, but they're, they're just outlooks. To go in there, look around, and come back and give a report. So God lets them go into that land to spy. Now let's look at Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one that ruleth among them, and Moses... By the commandment of the Lord sent them from the wilderness to Pharaoh, and all, all of those men were the heads of the children of Israel. So they send those heads in there to look around, and they're going to come back and give a report. Now Joshua and Caleb, if you if you read this account, they come back with a report of their findings. They've been sent in there to look around, and they're going to come back, and this is what they're going to to say in Numbers thirteen, verses twenty six through thirty three. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Pharaoh and Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came to the land whither thou sentest. And surely it flowed with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, a people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Anakites, I think I said that right, dwell in the land of, of the south, and the Hittites and the Jezebites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, they're giving this account of these great people that are over there. And they're telling about that. And they're saying that they're great people. Big people. They're mighty people. It goes on and says in verse 30, or beginning in verse 30, and Caleb, Caleb stilled the people. He calmed the people down. You know that must have been kind of a chilling effect to come back and say, man, they got walls around their cities, they're great people, they're all of this and that, and all the people, you know, are kind of thinking, mm, I don't know about this. Here's what Caleb says. And he stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. Joshua and Caleb knew they could do that. He said, For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went with, up with him said, These are the other guys. We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. Now I want us to understand that, that what they were saying was not... Well, the Bible says it was evil. And that concludes to me that 
it was just not the truth. It seems to be it was more than just what they thought, although in their weakness maybe they did think that. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature, giants. And there we saw giants, the son of Anak, which come, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. That's how they described it. They said these guys are giants, and, and we look like grasshoppers next to them. And so we were in their sight. So they brought an evil report. They brought a report that was not right. Caleb said, let's go possess it. He knew he had God with him. He knew that God was with him. He knew they could do that. He knew it was well within their power. But after hearing that false report, the Israelites chose to believe the weak ones. So we see a pattern there of children of Israel. So many times, you know, they, we just read about the, them said, asking if God can furnish the things that they need. You know, a lot of times, mankind, we are a whole lot like that. We know what God's given us. We know that God has blessed us with all kinds of bounty, particularly if we live in this country. We seem to rely on our own resources, though, don't we? We think all the great things sometimes that, that we have, we look around and we live in the United States, we have a house or an apartment or a nice place to live, we don't have rain falling on our head when it rains. That, that's down in southeast Texas. It don't rain here much. And we begin to think, you know, I've done pretty good for myself. I went and got a great education, worked hard, got a good job, and I provided lots of stuff for me. And we begin to rely on our own resources. And sometimes the fact that God has given us these things and, and really provided these things begins to slip away from us in, in our deep thoughts. Our strength. And we rely on our strength. And when we rely on our strength, then sometimes we're going to rely on our own weakness, aren't we? And we look at life in a humanistic way. We talked about humanism last week. And how that humanism is, is the reliance on what a, someone can provide rather than what God can provide for us. And then when we do that, or if we do that, if we rely on our own resources and we're focusing on our own strength and looking at things just in a humanistic way, then we diminish God's role in our life. That's what the children of Israel had done. The children of Ephraim, that tribe, they had forgot about God's role and they narrowed that down. They began to think, you know, they're in, I'm, we're in a bind here. You know, we're out in the wilderness and... And can God furnish a table? Well, certainly God can furnish a table, and He did. But like us, sometimes they had short memories about God's plan for us and His righteousness for us and His master plan. Sometimes we start with faith, but you know, after trouble creeps in, sometimes we begin to let that slide away from us. I want to talk about Peter's trial for just a minute from Matthew 14. A trial of his faith. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they're, they're out there and the, the storm's raging here. And they look out and they see Jesus. And, and it starts here. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. So he calmed them down, didn't he? He said, it, It's me. It's, it's Christ. Don't, don't be afraid. And Peter answered, and answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the, water, on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter looks out there. He sees Christ. Christ says, It's me. Peter says, If it's you, then have me come out there to you. And he said, Come. And, was, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You know, he, he talked to, to Jesus. Jesus called him. You know, often we pray to God. God gives us assurances from the Scripture. We start out on that tread towards wherever we're going in, in life. We're walking along there and things begin to happen that are not good. Sort of like Peter. You begin to sink. And what do we do? Well, too often, we begin to get nervous about that and we're scared about that and we, we begin to wonder, can God furnish a table? Can He? You bet. And just like Peter, sometimes we slip a little bit in our faith. We know the promise. We may have even taught others the promise. However, we falter for a moment and this, and this same thing later Peter did when he denied Christ. From John, the 18th chapter, Peter then denied again and immediately the cock crew. In the most critical time probably for this to happen, Peter denied Christ. You know, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we deny Christ in, in the things that we do in our life. Have you ever denied Christ with your speech or your actions or your failure to act or your statements? Well, that happens. It happens to us, and, and it's unfortunate, but most every one of us have faced with that. What do you do about that? What do you do about the fact that, that sometimes you've been taught, you may have taught others, you know the plan, you know the, you know the drill, the way the saying goes. But you kind of stump your toe. What do you do about that? How do you handle that? Well, how did Peter handle it? Peter, when he realized, or when he was repenting of what he had done, he knew what he was doing. He repented. And you know, many years later, we see him here being um, talked about here. Hang on, get back to my note. We see many years later, 
Let's look at his attitude now. Now, you remember now, several years ago he's denied Christ. What did he do about that? He repented. Let's look at his life now, several years later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy have begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did he give up? Did Peter just give up and say, you know, I'm a dirty rat and I shouldn't have denied Christ and I ain't got a bit of business doing this? No, he got back to work for God. You can tell it from, from the writing here in 1 Peter 1. Look at that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not denying Christ here. Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through the faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And the reason I chose this scripture right here is I want you to look at the dedication of this man when he's reading or when he's in this passage here of what he writes. Look at this. Look at the dedication that Peter has. And he regained that. And, you know, through the years, it caused him a lot of trouble to take that position and make that stance. But he, you know what? He did it. Now, sometimes we do that. Again, sometimes we know something. We, again, may have shared that with others and encouraged others with that. But we, sometimes we slip back. What do you do about that? I think we need to do what Peter did. I think we need to get, it, get up, dust ourselves off, find out what happened, correct it, and get back to work. Can God furnish a table? Yeah. Yes, He can. But sometimes people don't do that. Sometimes in hard times, people blame someone else. They blame... Something else, they blame circumstance, and even they blame God. And that's unfortunate when people blame God for their trouble. God is not the source of trouble. In 1 Corinthians 14, let me get here. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So when it gets down to trouble... We may go somewhere else for, for our source of trouble, but it's not going to be God. What about the devil? In John 12 and 31, the Bible says, Now the judgment of this world, now, now the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That's what the devil is referred to, the prince of this world. Now, if someone is going to be the prince of this world, what's he going to have control over? What's he going to have power in? What's he going to have influence in? He's going to have influence and power and control in worldly matters. What does beset Christians? Worldly things. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Pride of, you know, all of the things that, that, that get in our way. We look out there and we see something that we want. And we're willing to do wrong things to get there and we do it. Or maybe a relationship that we have with one of our brothers or sisters in Christ and, and it's not the proper relationship. We've not been kind to them. We've not been forgiving. There's all kinds of things that beset us, but they're things of this world. Trouble does not come from God. 
The prince of this world's got plenty of that for us. It's unfortunate, but it's that way. Now, the devil uses those earthly temptations. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Who was it that tempted Jesus Christ? It was the devil. Now, it wasn't God that tempted him. The devil brought him up there and said, you know, I'll give you all of these things here if you worship me. The prince of this world. What was he offering? He was offering things of the world. That's what he uses. That's his toolbox. Is what's here in this world. You know, some people even in their grief and sorrow and anger and whatever emotions they have when things are not going the way they, they think they should, they want to say that God causes or allows people to die. But through sin came death. That, that wasn't God's plan. In Romans 5 and 12 we read here, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all men, for that all have sinned. So it was sin and death. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for us to live forever. Now spiritually we can do that. But in the final day, God is going to defeat death. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 22, for as, in, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Spiritually alive through Jesus Christ. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. He's talking about the end now. Even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We can't blame God for death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. God wants us to live. He wants us to live. That's the reason He sent Jesus Christ. If that wasn't in God's plan, He would have never sent Christ. If He didn't want us to dwell with Him in heaven and have a plan of salvation and a, and a way to get there, you know, the Bible says that all that sin to come short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same position. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? If we're all battling the same thing, the Bible tells us that it's our sins and our iniquities that separates us from God. And it's only through Christ that we can live. Live eternally. And that's God's plan of salvation. God wants us to live. 1 John 4 and 9. And this, was and this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Now a lot of people try to live through something else. In a previous lesson, we talked about that. Some of the efforts that people have to live forever. And they don't work. In fact, you know, to, to Christians that look upon that concept, we think that that's kind of odd. 
And it is because it, it won't work. Now there's only one way, and that's through Christ. If you look at world religions, and we do from time to time, they're trying to achieve nirvana, or they're trying to achieve everlasting life through some other means other than Christ, but it's only through Jesus Christ. Last night we talked about the fact that, that our faith plus our obedience equals salvation. When we know the will of God and we know that God has a plan for us, then we activate that plan. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it's God's given plan because He, he did love the world that we might live through Jesus Christ. Now, many times mankind is asked, why, why do we have so much trouble? <laughs> you know, why do we have all of this stuff? You know, people say that all the time. I don't understand why we have so much disease and all this. Well, some things we're just not going to ever know. But what we do know is that His goodness has always been there for us. It'll be there for us. He's never going to leave us. Hebrews 13 and 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. No matter how sick we get, no matter how poor we are, no matter what the situation, there's always one constant, and that's this. There's no const constant things in, in life. I mean, that, that's always, you know, you're clicking along here and all of a sudden something happens that you don't really like. And you wonder, wow, I didn't even think about that happening. And it did. And, you know, the world's unstable. I mean, we wonder, you know, I mean, um, I was uh, around when Vietnam was going on, and communism was a big thing. Uh, I was uh, 18 years old when I graduated from high school, and the communists were doing this, and communists were doing that, and Russia had a big influence, and, you know, kids were, were being, uh, we'd had drills at school, you know, and, and they'll tell you to get under the desk for a nuclear bomb. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Must be some pretty stout desk. That's all I can tell. Uh, I guess we just felt like we need to do something, you know. Do something, you know. But we were all under that threat all the time. And you may remember some of that if you're old enough for that. And we just, You know, I remember thinking, just what in the world are we going to do if that happens? You know, you'd see a big, see on TV, you know, some test on some kind of atomic bomb or something. And you saw all the pictures from Japan and when they were bombed at the end of World War II and all the devastation and all that. What are we going to do? Well, you're not going to do anything about the things that happen in the world because they're going to come to you. You are going to have trouble. I'm going to have trouble. This is constant. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the only thing that you can sink your teeth in. And when we really realize that, then all of that other stuff becomes less important, doesn't it? You know, if, if, if Jesus Christ will never leave me or forsake me, then it doesn't matter what happens in this country. We stew about what happened. I'll tell you, if this country don't get on the right track, we're just going to go down financially. And you know what? We might. We sure might. And anything that you can come up with, it might happen. But if we have Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter. The Bible tells us there'll be no tears in heaven. There'll be no sorrow. 
Because we have the good shepherd. Jesus liked to use these terms because people could understand them. And we even today in our modern society know what a shepherd is. That's somebody that tends a flock of animals. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So there was a, a relationship there that he was trying to get over to these people. The re relationship is, is that the shepherd takes care of his flock. No matter what, he'll die trying to do it in human terms, human ways, like a shepherd of an actual flock out here in the field. But our spiritual shepherd gave his life for us. He died on Calvary's cross. And he knows us. He knows our needs. He knows our cares. He knows what besets us. He knows what strengthens us and what will weaken us. He knows everything. And Jesus said, I am known of mine. And you know, if you're a child of God today, then you're going to know Jesus Christ. And what comfort that gives us to know that. To know that God can furnish a table for us, and He does. I want to read a quote to you after this. But I have trusted in thy mercy, thy, my heart shall rejoice in my, thy salvation. We do rejoice in that. Let's get to that quote. This is a quote from a guy that was dying. And you know, I, I knew a brother, one, probably the most striking example I've ever had was Brother Fred Shores down in Orange, Texas, and he's been dead many years. Brother Fred, he was not scared to die. And I remember, I visited him right there, right before that happened, and I mean, he wasn't bragging about it. He just wasn't scared. I mean, he just, it was part of his life. He knew what was lying ahead for him. This guy did, did too. He said, it's a glorious thing to die. I've been active and busy in the world. I've enjoyed as much as anyone. God has prospered me. I have property enough. But how small and mean does this world appear on a sickbed? Now, he, he says, you know, I've got all I need. I've got all kinds of stuff. But how small is all of those things? Or, you know... How much effort we put in trying to get a house and a car and a job and an education and all that, and I'm not slamming that. Those are great things to do as long as we put them in the right order. But how small is every bit of that if we're laying on our deathbed? You know, I doubt that anybody that's laying on their deathbed is ever saying, boy, you know, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. That's, that's what I wish I'd have done. What are you going to hear them say? You may hear them say, if they have regrets, you may hear them say, boy, I wish I'd have went to church more. Wish I'd have spent a little more time with my family. <clears throat> wish I could have done this and wish I could have done that. And they're not going to be talking about work. They're not going to say, boy, I wish I'd have bought a, just one more piece of real estate and put some more cows on that. That's not what they're focused on. This guy says, how small and mean does this world appear on a sickbed? Nothing can equal my enjoyment in the near view of heaven. My hope in Christ is worth infinitely more than all other things. The blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, none but Christ. Oh, how thankful I feel that God has provided a way that I, sinful as I am, may look, toward, look forward with joy to another world through His dear Son. This man knew what he had waiting on him. This man knew that. And he knew the joy of that. In 1 Chronicles 28 and 20, the Bible says, And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong 
and of good courage, and do it, fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. David told Solomon, he said, don't worry about this. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the Lord. You know, God's promises are for those that through faith and obedience have trusted in Him and have given their life to God's service. Are you there? That's the question this morning. Have you given your life to God? Have you started over? We read about Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews that came to to Jesus and, and said, I know you're from God because I've, I've seen all the I'm paraphrasing. He said, I've seen all these miracles that you've done. And Jesus said, you need to be born again. Have you done that? That's the question this morning. How do we do that? First thing we've got to do is hear it. We've got to hear the Word, that plan of salvation. The understanding that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that He will furnish a table for us. That He'll protect us. He will take us through this life with every need that we have. That's Romans 10 and 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is God's way of conveying this message. And... and, it doesn't have to be done by a preacher. I think that what we're being taught here is that somebody has got to tell you about that and you've got to tell somebody else. This is the way God chose for the, His message to be delivered. But ask the question. How can you call on somebody you not believe? We know that we must believe, right? In Hebrews 11 and 6, the Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. Now, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We must have faith, because without it, we cannot please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Back to the question, can God furnish a table? We also must repent. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, then we need to make a change. Repentance is more than just being sorry. You know, if I'm driving down the road and highway patrol pulls me over and gives me a ticket, I'm I'm sorry about that. If I get back in the car and start speeding again, then apparently I haven't repented from it. Now that's a, a real example that's probably hard to link to what we're talking about here, but repentance in someone's life is a change. It is a change to follow after God and do something different in our lives. So we must repent. In Luke 13 and 3, the Bible says, I tell you, nay, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. So repentance is not something that it's a good idea and it's not something that we ought to do or maybe we ought to work towards that or think about that or maybe consider doing that one day. Repentance is required. Also confess. Confess. Now that word confess, and, and I want to 
spend some time on that. In this context right here, what it's talking about is acknowledge. We have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the confession that we make. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We must agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what the eunuch did. The Ethiopian eunuch. He's riding along there on the chariot. The evangelist Philip goes to him. He teaches him the Word of God. And <clears throat> as they're passing this water, the eunuch says, here's water, what, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip says, if you believe us, you may us. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And with his mouth, confession was made unto salvation, and then baptism. Now we could have used that um, example there in Acts about the Ethiopian eunuch, because he said he, they commanded the chariot to be still, that means he stopped the chariot, and they went down in the water, both he and Philip, and he baptized him. Philip baptized the eunuch. But I want to use uh, Acts 2 and 38 to talk about for just a minute. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the day when the church is being established in Acts the second chapter. And these Jews here are assembled. And Peter talks to them. Who? Who did that? The guy that denied Christ? He's a keynote speaker. This is a guy that denied Christ. And he teaches them what it's all about. And then they ask the question, what must we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter told them what they had to do. And it was just exactly the same thing that the eunuch did. It's exactly the same thing that we see in Acts 22 that Paul did. In fact, every conversion example in the book of Acts involves baptism because it's essential. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Have you done that? You can leave here today knowing that your sins have been washed away. Can God furnish the table? What they were talking about back there was a, a literal table, food and all this, that, and the other. But for us right now, and what we're talking about is a spiritual table where we can come and partake of what we need to have eternal life with Jesus Christ. Can God furnish a table? He did it. He did it for us with that plan of salvation, with that death on the cross. Nailing that old law to the cross, bringing in the New Testament, and that plan of salvation. The lesson's yours this morning. Thank you for your attention. If you haven't done that, consider that. You need to consider that to make that step. The church stands ready to assist you with that. And we're glad to, to be able to do that. That's your intent this morning. If you need the prayers of the church, we'd ask you to come forward as we stand and sing.